morning we had a, just not exactly a review message, but just one seems to be the, the theme of these days. Brother Nortier's bringing messages on the 15th chapter of Luke, and we did just a short time ago. But there's always something new and always something good and always something great in in this particular 15th chapter of Luke, there's no way of draining it. There's no way of getting everything out of it. It's so wonderful. And we got started in it today, and we didn't get all that far. So if you... I brought it this, this morning, and we don't usually do the same thing at night, but I'd like to finish it tonight so it's on both sides of our tape. So turn to the 15th chapter of uh, Luke... And I would just read verses 1 through 6, or maybe 1 through 7, 1 through 7. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. As the end of the sheep story. But here's the rest of the story you don't see. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, do you see the correlation there? The ninety-nine sheep left in the wilderness are ninety and nine just persons who don't feel they need to repent. And that one lost sheep is that one sinner that repents. So now we will talk about the story about the sheep a little bit more. This morning... As we finished our message, we had said that this sheep, this one particular lost sheep, was the same size, same color, same age, possibly had the same daddy as many of the other sheep. And so as he mingled with the other sheep, you could not tell this sheep from any of the others. And so we went to Ephesians 2, 3, and we had read that, that it says uh, that all we, you know, uh, were children of wrath, even as others, before the Lord quickened us. By nature, the children of wrath. Now, these sheep, where were they, for starters? Well, it says they were in the wilderness. You would think being sheep that they'd all be tucked away safely in a green pasture somewhere. Nice, just the way the 23rd Psalm goes uh, by the smooth running waters and nice green pastures. But here we find them in the wilderness. All of them. All 100 sheep for starters in the wilderness. They were in an unsafe, dangerous place, and yet they dwelt there. Now that wilderness describes this world where God's people are found among the 99. 
It's not a good place to graze. And yet that's where we all start out. Look at 1 John 2, 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, and if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me read it again to you. Love not the wilderness, and neither the things that are in the wilderness. If any man love the wilderness, the love of the Father is not in him. The world and the wilderness in this particular parable is the same thing. For all that is in the wilderness or the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world that wilderness that we live in. And the world passes away. Yes, it does. The, your world passes away. Everybody's world passes away someday. It might be early in life. You may live to 50. You may be 60. You may go 70. You may go 80. And some go 90. And a very, very few go 100. But it passes away. That's the sure thing. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's eternity. Now the lost sheep describes one of God's elect as they break away from the world systems. Now that sheep was like Lot, whose soul was vexed day by day. He was in Sodom. We know that the sins of Sodom were so bad that God said, it's time to close the door on that. It's time to get rid of that bunch. And he did. He destroyed it completely. That's where Lot lived. That was his choice when Abraham gave him a choice of where he wanted to dwell. But being one of God's elect, the things that he saw and heard vexed him, bothered him. Not quite enough to move, but it bothered his new nature. How about that? Didn't bother his old nature. It bothered his new nature. But look at Second Peter 2, 7 and 8. This is the scripture that tells us that Lot was bothered. And that Lot was a righteous man. Let's read verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, now Sodom is where Lot lives, Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. People that do this same sin of sodomy should be frightened, should be scared to death that God would do the same thing to them. Look out, San Francisco, it's still coming. Look out, New Orleans, it's still coming. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, he saw and he heard things that turned his stomach upside down. It vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Not unlawful for that city, no unlawful according to God's laws. God makes the rules that we're to go by, not city magistrates. Okay. I'm 
Not satisfied with his food, Lot would say. This is Lot talking to himself. I'm not satisfied with my ungodly friends. I'm not satisfied with myself. But I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I'm going to escape. That's after the angel talked a lot, of course. But this could be the awakened sinner talking now, too. They're certainly not satisfied with themselves, what they see, what they hear, with the traditions, with the fashions, with the government of this world. These things nauseate an awakened sinner. They nauseate a saved sinner. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm getting out of here. But you get out the way the Bible tells you. He leaves all to find Christ. Now, one of the greatest stories ever written about that is Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. It starts out by Pilgrim with his little book, knowing from the book that the city was going to be destroyed. And he's smart enough to take the instructions and want to get out. It portrays the sinner leaving his condemned condition and wanting to get to Christ. It's exactly what it pictures. Now, in the parable that we have, and you can turn back there to Luke 15, Our parable says that the shepherd went seeking the lost sheep. Now, every motion and every action of the quickened sinner is due to the gentle drawing of God's love. What am I talking about? Well, when your heart is stirred, when the Holy Spirit quickens your understanding, there are certain things a sinner does. There are certain things that his conscience, being now alive also, tells him he shouldn't do, and there are certain things that the Spirit tells him he should do. One of them is he's going to get him a, a Bible. He's going to get him a good one, and he's going to begin to read it. And that doesn't make him popular, except with a few church groups who make a lot about the Bible, but don't understand it. So eventually he's going to be out there too. Now, I said this is all due to God's drawing, a love that draws sinners to him. Now, look at John 6, 44. John 6, 44. Our Lord is kind enough to explain to us the reasons why sinners come and why some sinners don't come. How can there be a husband and wife so in love with each other and one comes to Christ and the other one doesn't? Here it is. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. And notice he always puts that in there. It's the Father's love that sends the sacrifice, sends the Lamb of God, sends his own Son. God's love does this. And he always mentions it, the Father which has sent me, draw him. Now, we must go back to Jeremiah 31.3. Jeremiah 
is what explains that verse of scripture and this verse of scripture is explained by John 6.44 The Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying yea I have loved thee with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee now this is so against human reasoning first of all most human beings don't believe in God they don't understand what love is and if they do hear about God loving the sinner they don't know when it began or how it takes place and our verse tells us it's an everlasting love so it started before time it started before there was a world everlasting and eternal are the same things but because God set his love and affection upon certain people back in eternity he has to draw them to him because they're sinners and he says therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee doesn't awakened sinner feel like he's being drawn no not at all an awakened sinner always feels like he's running in the opposite direction, trying to get to God and knowing that his own depraved heart and nature is always throwing great big stumbling stones in the way. Our sinful, polluted minds and memories are our greatest obstacle. The sinner actually becomes to hate himself, himself or herself, and they feel that they're a great way off. You remember that? Is that familiar territory there? Familiar words? When a prodigal son felt himself a great way off, might as well stop and take a break. I'm not getting any closer. And the Lord run to meet him. Now our Lord himself said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Luke 19.10. Zacchaeus was up there in the tree. The Lord told him to come down. It appeared that Zacchaeus was seeking the Lord. He said he wanted to see him. He climbed up into a tree. He wanted to see the Lord Jesus. And yet our Lord, when he finished calling Zacchaeus down and went to his house and preached, said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The very seeking that Zacchaeus, the very seeking that Zacchaeus did was in actuality the Lord drawing him to himself. Zacchaeus gets credit for seeking, but the Lord is the one who was actually seeking and saving. Now what a strange thought is that though our Lord Jesus does not take credit for his seeking work, but turns it around and gives the sinner credit for repenting. Look at Luke 15, 7. Who gets the credit? Luke 15, 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Well, now tell me. What did that lost sheep do? There's not one trace 
of repentance found in that story. But the fact that that sheep was lost puts it into an altogether different category from anybody else except lost sinners. And the one thing that lost sinners do is repent. Repent and cry. And therefore, it says, more than over one sinner that repenteth. The Lord went out, found a sheep. Sheep hadn't done anything we can see in the story, but get lost. Lord found him, and the sinner gets the credit for repenting. I think that's fantastic. All the action in the parable about the shepherd seeking and finding the lost sheep is credited to the sinner repenting. The sheep leaving the fold, exposing itself to all the hatred of the world, as well as to the danger of the world, is likened to a sinner repenting. Now why this one sheep? What about the rest? Well, you see it is imperative or necessary to be lost in order to be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ only saves lost sinners. That's Luke 19.10. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now the other 99 sheep were never lost and continued to survive in the wilderness or in the world. In other words, God let them alone. Sure, they're a member of a flock. Sure, they're all sheep. But they were never lost. Okay, we're going to get to something good here in a minute. Their condition, the 99, never changed, and so they were never saved. Why? Because they were never lost. Now, when our Lord saves a sinner... Does he bring that sinner back to what he was or to where he was? No, not at all. When the Lord Jesus saves the sinner, he makes him a new creature. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, don't let that disturb your mind as the thinking. Every single thing is gone and every single new thing you got is new. No, it means that your primary interest in life, in the world, in yourself, is gone. And that your primary interest now is in Christ, in heavenly things, in spiritual things, in the hope that the gospel holds out to you. The promises that are in the gospel, particularly going to have a new body, a body that won't sin, to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and behold his glory. Those are the things that are new, that you never had before, and they're wonderful. They will never leave you. Okay, 
he adopts the sinner into the family of God and separates him from unbelievers and the ungodly. Now, what do I mean by adopt you? Well, look at Ephesians 1.5. Ephesians 1.5. Now, it says here, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Why does the sinner have to be adopted? Well, because he's left his old family. The world doesn't want anything to do with God's people. They don't want anything to do with an awakened sinner. Before the Lord gets through the process of salvation and the sinner coming down, nobody wants him. There's only one place left. That's God's family. And so God has predestinated that everyone he draws to himself, he adopts into his family. You can now call yourself a child of God. If you haven't got another friend in the world, if you haven't got another relative anywhere, over in 1 John, he says, Now are we the sons of God. Now. You're adopted into God's family. That's a promise. That's a condition. Not too many of us even act like it, do we? Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now I said he separates him from unbelievers in the ungodly world, and that's 2 Corinthians 6.14. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is actually the Christian the Christian being admonished to come out. You know, a lot of these early believers in the early church did not have the benefit of a prolonged gospel ministry like we folks have. We can sit under preachers for years and years and years and be instructed and have, but a lot of these folks the Lord saved and then needed some instruction. And Paul tells them, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Lord says, come out, and I'll really be your father. So, a person that's really enmeshed and held captive in the world, there's great doubt about God being their father. Because it's just kind of like a, a covenant here. It's kind of like a contract. You come out, I'll be your father. And you be my sons and daughters. I say that all of God's people come out. They don't stay in, just like Lot. If they don't come out by themselves, they'll have to be taken out by some means or other. But they come out. 
God's people talk about heavenly things. And their affections are set on things above. Look at Philippians 3.20. Philippians 3.20. I say they talk about heavenly things. It says, for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've mentioned to you a few times how can your conversation be in heaven? Well, whenever you pray, whenever you talk to the Lord, that's where your conversation is being heard. Very possible where it's being recorded. I know the scripture says that a man should be judged by every word that he utters. But a conversation being in heaven is in prayer. When we call unto the Lord, that's where he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, and that's where he hears. So that word is not citizenship, it's conversation. All right, we talk about Christ, we talk about heavenly things. And in Colossians 3.1, so set your affections on things above. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. How often do we meditate upon our new bodies, about living sinless, about getting out of here, about seeing the glory of Christ, about any of the things that are promised to us in this scripture. We don't spend very much time thinking about them. Oh, well, Paul says, Set your affections, your heart, your desires, your ambitions, your hopes. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. If ye be risen. It's like saying, if you're saved, then seek those things which are above. You got no business fooling around down here. And he tells you that's where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. You see, in our parable... In verse 6, let me see verse 6. Here's what it says. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. The shepherd brought the sheep home, not back to the crowd in the wilderness. You see, Life itself is a journey from the world to heaven. Once you begin the heavenly journey, you don't head back for the wilderness. Our Lord said he brought him home, home with him. In fact, he tells all of his sheep, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Look at Hebrews 13, 5. That's a great promise. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he has said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So what about this covetousness? Well I wish I had that. Oh if I only had that. No matter how poor you are no matter how much you got the Lord says he's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us. You always have him. 
and thick or thin. Now, most of us have never suffered persecution. How do you think these folks that were thrown in the lion's den back in Rome in the early Christian days thought on these particular scriptures and said, he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. What in the world am I doing in here? Or those that were burned at the stake when they would go over the scriptures and the Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What am I doing here? Have I done something wrong? Have I displeased the Lord? Now you see, there are many times you must leave things, the secret things of God in his hands. The things that are revealed to our hearts through the word is this. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And bank upon it. Take that to the bank. He means what he says. Situations that we get into, like we just mentioned, that's God's business. They receive a martyr's crown, something you and I will never receive, probably. A martyr's crown. I don't know what crowns or how all this status takes place. I know the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't love one saint more than another. He had to shed his blood for everyone equally. But those that do things for him may be rewarded more than others that don't. I'm just not into that. I'm still at the back door of grace. I'm still learning so much. And there's a lot I don't know. I've often wondered about the crowns that it speaks about. But I don't know. Don't you just feel like what a wonderful thing to have your new body and to be with Christ? Forget crowns. Forget anything. Who wants them? Just to be with him. Just to have eternal life. Just to know that you're not going to be punished for the wicked life you had here on earth. Depraved thoughts, depraved hearing, depraved memory, everything contrary to God's holiness and rules. And yet here we are, basking in the glory of eternity, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that was a good promise let's look at one that's even better John 14 verses 1 through 3 let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Great, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus Christ not only knew that there were mansions there, but he knew exactly how many, where they were, and who they were for. Because he is the creator along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. 
knew every single mansion. Not just a dwelling place, not just a five-bedroom home with six baths and a three-car garage and a barn out and back full of racehorses. No, that's nothing. It's a mansion. A one-room shack made out of dirt would be wonderful in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ if that's all we had. But it isn't. He says mansions. Well, that's a wonderful promise. But we've got something that'll even make you tingle to think about it. That's John 10, 28. John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Who is he talking about? Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep. That one lost sheep out of the hundred. He heard my voice. I sought him. I saved him. Now he always hears my voice. I know them. They follow me. They're out of the wilderness. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Well, of course, eternal life means that. But sometimes it doesn't dawn in. Eternal life, just another two words. That means you'll never perish because of your sin. Your sin's been paid for when he gives you eternal life. The law that you broke, he kept. And so you get eternal life. He gives it to you. But maybe you don't understand. Never perish. So he says, And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. They're in safekeeping. They're in my hand. Oh, can you go further than that? Is there any necessity to have to convince you that you're safe? Well, my Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Boy, is that security for the believer? That's the most wonderful security there is. You're safe in the hands of our God. Our God the Father, our God the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now we're very safe in the hands of God the Holy Spirit who watches over, cares for us, even is the author of our groanings and prayers. Just persons, righteous people, the majority of people never see their need of Christ and never repent and are never lost in their own eyes. Just people, we'll look at Luke 5.32. You would think a just person they should be okay. Luke 5.32 says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's confusing to young people. That's confusing to children. When I was Lee's age, 
and read that, I would think there's a lot of righteous people, a lot of good people. But our Lord doesn't have to call them because they're okay already. No, that's not what it means. It means that people that are good, people that are very, very good, they think that they're earning their salvation. They think that God will see what they do good and count that toward taking them to heaven. No, that's not it at all. Our Lord says he didn't come to call that kind of people, but sinners to repentance. Repentance is a gift, and you've got to be a sinner in order to want to repent. God's got to show you your heart before you ever want to cry unto him for mercy. Majority of people, I said, never see that. I want to show you what religious people think about themselves today. Revelation 3.17. Revelation 3.17. This is what most people who go to church, this is how they think. This is what they really believe deep down in. This is what they say, because thou sayest. They say this, I am rich. Rich spiritually, because I belong to a great, big, beautiful church. It has thousands of people. It has a bowling alley. It has a basketball court. It has a billiard room. It has three or four choirs. It has plenty of activities for our children. We're rich spiritually. Those are what they call spiritual riches. And increased with goods. We've just bought a lot across from the church that can hold 3,000 automobiles. We've got everything. We have need of nothing. Here's what our Lord says. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now there's nothing wrong with being that way. In fact, to be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked is a blessing if you know it. But these folks don't know it and never will. It's when God opens the heart and shows you that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Then you need a Savior. Then you can call upon Him. Then you don't care because you know you're condemned already. But until the Lord opens the heart to see that, they have that condition, but they never get out of it. They think they're rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. We've already read that when you come to Christ, you have eternal life, but one last scripture will thrill your heart. Turn to Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13 says, who, has, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sin. Boy, is that ever a blessed, blessed thought and verse. Redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. 
redemption through his blood. That is the price of buying us back from the slave market of sin. The price that's required to pay our eternal punishment for sinning. Now you understand that sins must be paid for. And 1 Peter 1.18, you don't have to turn there, but it says we're bought with the precious blood of Christ. He paid for our sins with his blood, and therefore when he grants forgiveness of sins, it is legal in the eyes of the law. Turn him loose, like Brother Hale's song says. That's what has to be done. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever been found? These are the two most traumatic happenings in your life and you cannot be saved without knowing when you were lost and how you were saved. And Peter gives you a warning in 2 Peter 1.10. Make your calling and election sure. Your calling is when God quickened you, gave you an interest. Your election, you found out, is when God revealed Christ to your heart. May the Lord spare you is our prayer today. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon our gospel message tonight as we finished what we started this morning, just a little something about being lost and being found. How wonderful to know our sins are forgiven. Grant that we may have power to walk, to meditate, to think more holy things each and every day as we wait for thy coming. We're going to travel a lot this week. We ask thy blessing, protection on the highway, and again, looking upon those that we prayed for earlier who need healing in their bodies. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.